Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. So we started last week a series called Giants Will Fall. And if you remember, we looked at... um, David and Goliath, the classic story, right? David, the underdog, the young boy, he's he's going out there against Goliath, a nine foot, nine inch tall giant. He has a shepherd staff and, and a sling. And we read that story and we always think of ourselves as David. Right? We're, we're thinking like, I'm David, and if I trust the Lord and I go out against these giants in my life, then I will have the victory. And we looked at this passage in Luke 24 where Jesus is walking with two disciples after his resurrection, and he begins to show them from the scriptures how it all pointed to himself. And we just had to imagine that Jesus came to this passage about David and Goliath, and he says... I am David. I am the true and better David. And we are really more like Israel, kind of fearful. We're, we're shaking. We're, we're kind of cowarding away as the big giant steps out and taunts us. And so we talked about Jesus being the true hero of our stories and how his victory is our victory. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the very first giant. And uh, I'm excited about this because I think it's one that we're all going to uh, at least resonate with in some way. There was a husband and wife that had just bought a house. If you ever bought a house before, you know how that drains all of your, uh, your extra money, your savings. There's little hidden costs that come along. And so all the margin from their finances was gone. Okay, but they wanted to go out together and so they went out and got an inexpensive meal and they're killing time and they decide, let's just go to the shopping mall. Let's go walk around the mall together. And so they do and the husband kind of finds a store in the mall and it's got, it's got cool guy stuff and so he's checking out the guy stuff and the wife wanders off and she finds him, you know, about 45 minutes or so later and she's holding a dress. Now it's a nice dress, you can tell. Um, and he, he can see through the plastic this price tag, and the price tag, it was $500. And the husband's looking at his wife like, oh my gosh, what are you thinking? Like, don't you know we can't afford this? And she's like, I know, I know, I know. I, I was walking through the, up to the store, and I saw it in the window, and then I went inside, and the lady was so nice. She, before I knew it, I'm trying on the dress, and it was just like, like Satan on my shoulder, like this temptation saying, you look awesome, you look fabulous in this dress. You gotta have the dress. You gotta buy the dress. And, and before I knew it, I I was at the cash register. The husband's like, do you know how I fight temptation like this? I say, get behind me, Satan. She said, I did. I said, get behind me, Satan. And he yelled back, it looks fabulous from back here too. Thank you. I'm a dad now, so I have dad jokes and sometimes my dad jokes are pretty bad. Thank you. (laughs) We're talking about 
temptation. Our first giant is the giant of temptation. Now, there's something that I know about you. I mean, when you came in the door, I was able to kind of size up everything that's going on in your life. And I just know that you are a person that deals with temptation. That's not true. I, I didn't size you up. I know it because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man, which means that every single person who is a human being with a pulse will face temptation. Every last one of us. And there are certain things that feel like Goliath temptations, right? There's lots of other things that maybe other people struggle with and you're like, that's eh, not me. I don't, I don't, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't get me. But then there's that one thing that you're like, that one could take me out. Like that one's giant in my life. And that's what we're going to talk about, giant temptation. My prayer this morning is that we get a reality check about temptation. Because I think that because we all deal with it and because we've all fallen into temptation in our lives, there's, there's a tendency in us just to kind of roll our eyes and say, oh my gosh, and I know what that's like, and to forget the gravity of the situation. And so I'm praying that God would give us a reality check about temptation, and I'm praying that we'll leave here feeling equipped of how do we bring the victory of Christ down into our day-to-day -day life. To do that, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. If you have a copy of the scriptures and want to turn there with me. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Now, that's amazing in itself that Jesus had a brother that wound up believing that he was the Messiah. Now, think about that. If you have a brother, I know some of you guys are, are here, here, here with siblings today. And if you have a brother that happened to say, I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God, you'd be like, bro, I know you. I grew up with you. Like, there's no way. I've seen your life, right? I, I slept next to you for years. There's no way. James believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he saw the evidence in his life, like, this guy's special. There's something different about my brother. Now, James is writing this about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. James has become a prominent leader in the, in the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to all the, the different churches and house churches that have been spread out uh, beyond Israel. So he's writing this to them, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word 
of the Lord. So James here is, is telling us about temptation, and, and I found something interesting in this passage. When, when you see the word in verse 12, trials, when it says, blessed is the one who endures trials, if you were to read that in the King James Version, it's going to say, blessed is he that endureth, right? That's King James Version, endureth temptations. So the same root word in James for trials is also the same root word for temptations, which, by the way, we love to quote James 1, chap, uh, 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you, when you face various trials of many kinds. That verse, that, that word trials, again, there is also temptations. So wait a minute. Blessed is the one who endures temptations. Consider it pure joy. There's a myth that I think we have as believers that we would say, if I really loved Jesus, if I really loved God, then I wouldn't feel tempted anymore. You ever felt that way before? Like, if I really loved God, then that, that giant thing wouldn't feel like a giant anymore because there's, it's just, it's me, I'm not loving Jesus. Well, here's what he's saying here is that, no, 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 you are going to face temptation and it's not because you don't love Jesus. But here's what you're called to do. You're called to endure and to stand the test because there's a reward that's coming for you. Jesus wants you to have the victory over temptation. You're not facing it because you don't love him, but because you love him, you have to be learned to face it differently. So James goes on in verse 13. He begins to talk about the source of our temptations. In, in 13, he says, no one undergoing a trial, again, remember, temptation, should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil Desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, here's what James is saying to us. He's saying, look, when you face temptation, don't blame God. We do that sometimes, right? We try to pin it on God. Well, you know, the Lord just made me with this appetite for blah, 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 blah. Well, God made me in such a way that I just, I'm, I'm prone to da, 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 da. And, and we try to pin our temptation on God as if, you know, if he had made us differently, then I wouldn't face that problem. And James is saying, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works. You see, God does not tempt anyone and he is not tempted by evil. There's nothing where God is trying to set you up for a fall. That's not his nature, and that's not his character. Our God is a God who is a God of purity and holiness and goodness, and he's always trying to, to, to lead us and to empower us towards victory over sin. So it's not God's fault. He says that it's our own evil desires. Uh-oh. Now that word evil desires can also be translated as 
lust. In fact, your translation of the Bible might just say lust, right? By our own evil desire or lust. Now, lust is a desire, it's a longing or a craving, especially for something forbidden. And he uses this words, drawn away and enticed. I don't know if you've ever been hunting before, but when I was in high school, one of my best friends, his family had a deer hunting ranch. And so we'd go out there and I didn't know anything about it, but he would have, you know, they have the, the feeders out there. Have y'all, have y'all seen that? And you have the blind, you sit up in this blind and there's typically this feeders way off, you know, about 40, 50 yards away, maybe further. And the corn goes off. Like you hear that sound, the corn starts spraying out of that feeder. And then you just wait, you're sitting in that blind, you're being super quiet and you're waiting. And all of a sudden those deer are, are getting, coming out of the tree line towards that feeder. This, this word drawn away is like a hunting metaphor that the deer are being drawn away from the cover, the safety of the forest into the open to that corn. Now, if you want the big buck, right? If you want the big buck, these guys are smart. The, the bucks are always the last ones to come out to the feeder, especially the big ones, the older ones, they're wise. And so you have to wait, you have to wait for that doe to come out. And so the bucks thinking, food and females. Okay, maybe, maybe. And eventually he's enticed by the food and the females and that big buck walks out and then boom, right? You're ready to take out the deer. You've drawn away and you've enticed them to the feeder. And that's how temptation works. You see, there's, there's something in all of us that's like that, that invisible pull. Whatever your giant temptation is, there's this invisible pull. It's like you have a, a God-given desire like the deer, like food. I want food. I hear food going off and I want to eat. That sounds wonderful. And this food is like a, an easy, cheap way for them to get food fast. So there's a desire that you're pulling on that lures them out. See, here's how temptation really works. Temptation lures us with an empty promise that entices us to selfishly take something that isn't really ours to take. I'm gonna repeat that. Temptation lures us with an empty promise that entices us to selfishly take something that isn't ours to take. Here's how this can look in our life. This can look like when we use the word lust, most of us start thinking first of sexual temptation, right? That can be pornography. It can be second looks at people when you're out in public. It can be sex outside of marriage, It can be adultery. This lust can look like a lust for possessions, right? For status or notoriety or position, right? We see the symbols of wealth or of status and we think, I want that. Like if I had that, my life would just be a little bit better, right? And so we have a lust for possessions. We're, We're tempted sometimes to exaggerate things. 
or to leave things out of conversations to make ourselves look just a little bit better, right? We, we lie, just a little, just a little white lie. Nobody knew that I was exaggerating that or I was leaving this out of conversations just to make myself look a little bit better. We're, we're tempted to gossip. We, we, we'd say things, we insert a little negative comment, someone's saying something about somebody, and we're like, oh, well, did you hear, blah, 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 blah. And we're, what we're doing is we're selfishly taking some of that approval and significance and whatever good things were about to come their way, we're gonna take that away for ourselves and say, no, no, well, I really know what's going on there. So we, we're tempted to gossip, we're tempted to control, to manipulate, to, to take over a situation, right? Uh, husbands and wives, I know you never, ever deal with this, but whenever there's conflict, you might feel like either you're going to withdraw and be like, I'm going to be the silent treatment, be like, I'm not going to talk to you right now. And that's my way of getting control. Or it can be like, I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to get big, and I'm going to be aggressive, and that's how I take control. We're, we're tempted because we long for security, and when that security is threatened, we want to do something to take it right now. i got to get control again. And so we're tempted to respond in ways that are really sinful, we're tempted towards substances. If, if addiction has ever been a part of your life, that's been a part of my past. I, I know substance can be so addictive, right? It can be drinking too much or, or eating too much or it can just be uh, addicted to this sense of body image where we're like thinking about, do I eat, do I not eat? It can be anorexia, bulimia. These are just ways that we obsess about our own bodies. It can be a temptation for money, right, to be seen as successful or smart or competent. It can lead us to overextend ourselves financially just to maintain the, the look, the persona. It can tempt us to dress or act in a way that would grab the attention of the opposite sex, to be subtly seductive in how we act or it can be just a consuming, right? We're tempted to be consumed by our insecurities. See, this temptation is a constant thing that every last one of us deals with. It's common to all of us. All of us deal with this. And here's the thing. This temptation to lust is a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. It's an empty promise. When you feel the pull to whatever it is that pulls you, at that moment, your thinking is clouded and you're thinking, that's what I need. That's what I want, right? That's gonna scratch this itch inside of me. It's gonna make, make me feel better. It's gonna, it's gonna you know, fill me up in some way and, and you just want to go and act on that thing. And then when you do, you realize, oh, it's empty. There's nothing there for me all along. You see, it's a counterfeit because lust at its very, at its very essence is selfishly taking. But Jesus defined love as sacrificially giving. Lust is a counterfeit to true love, to give sacrificially. 
And so we all face a temptation. It it stirs the evil desires and the lust within us. And we have this internal process. And I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, this is so true. We have a desire. We see the bait, right? The feeder goes off. Oh, bait. We fixate on that bait. And then we make plans on how do I take the bait without anyone knowing that I took the bait? How can I do this without getting caught? And then we buy into the empty promise, like this will be good. This will make me feel good. And then we selfishly take, and just like that deer walking out, it's like, boom, like we're right there. We're in the grip of sin. And we're so good at this that we can do that whole process in like a split second, aren't we? Desire, bait, fixate on the bait, make a plan, right? Buy into the promise, boom. We can do that in literally a half second. We're so good at sinning, it's crazy. And all this might sound really, really hopeless. But here's what I I want you to know. There is hope for us today. But we need to understand the gravity of the situation. I had a a friend, he was a, a gifted young evangelist, like just crazy gifted. This guy had the ability to, he'd come in here and if he were here, he would speak in such a way that we'd all be laughing at one moment and he'd insert this biblical truth and we'd all be crying, right, at the next moment. I mean, and he would say, if you want to receive Christ, and all of us would run to the front because this guy was so anointed and so gifted. And and the ministry that I was a part of with this person, it just blew up. Like hundreds and hundreds of of youth coming to this thing. And then we we started doing other events together. And and, and all these thousands of of youth were being touched by this, this guy's life. And then he got invited into this big church to come and be on their staff at this huge church. And he did that. And and then all these other big churches began to ask him. And so he would kind of move around from big church to big church and thousands and thousands of people. And all the while, he had a secret temptation. We didn't know. But he had a secret temptation. He was looking at pornographic stuff online and none of us knew about this and it just kind of kept on in his life this pattern of temptation, right? Seeing the bait falling, temptation bait falling over and over again until just a few years ago, the young man who's now an old man, the gifted, talented evangelist, it was released that he, this was in the, the paper of this large town that he's in, right? Mega pastor removed from his position. And the elders issued a statement saying, we caught him with inappropriate images. We told him time and time again, you need to deal with this. And he never dealt with it. You see, there's, there's serious consequences that come when we begin to just entertain temptation in our life. James says that it leads to death. 
This death can look like a, a physical death, right? If you're, if you're given into temptation in su- such a way that you actually get disease in your body, it can be the death of relationships. How many, how many marriages have ended? How many friendships have ended because of temptation? Just giving in to something. It could be a spiritual death. We know that sin breaks our relationship with God. Isaiah 59, 2, he says, your iniquities are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. That sin has a way of separating us spiritually from God. It, it could be the death of our hopes and dreams. Right, you, you, you had this desire, I had this dream, I was going this way, but then I made some choices along the way and I just fell into this temptation. I, I don't even believe I could do that ever again. There's a death of hope and dreams. It could be a, a deadening of our senses. The scriptures talk about do not be calloused by sin's deceitfulness, that sin has a way of deadening our senses. It could be a death of peace, a death of joy, a death of innocence a death of goodness, a death of reputation, like my friend. It could be a death of career. Sin, when full grown, always creates death. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message translation, he, he uh, says this, that this uh, sin will, says sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Ravi Zacharias says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It always results in death. It's serious. So, what do we do? Where's the hope for us? In Jesus, If we all face temptation and we all have things that feel Goliath in our lives and we know that we're up against them, we feel the pull in us towards those things, how do we find the victory? Well, I believe that the Lord has given us, amazingly, his victory. So I want to just equip you right now on how do we bring the victory of Christ down into our life. The first thing is this, dethrone yourself and enthrone Jesus in your heart. Dethrone yourself and enthrone Jesus. Because here's the thing, temptation pulls at our wants, right? You, you want something, there's a, there's a need. And if you were to go down layers, down into the original, like what's going on in your heart, that's actually probably a God-given need that you have. It's a God-given need, but it's becoming twisted and perverted in a way that temptation's calling it out into some sinful activity. And, and what we have to be able to do is to want something else more. You, you have to learn to love the Lord. It's, um, it's in this passage right here in, in James 1.12. He says, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When there's a, a growing love, we, we begin to want the things of God more than the temptations that come our way. We have to dethrone ourselves and remember that God's not my servant. I am his servant. I've always... Um, thought this, and I've said this to you guys before, that I believe the hinge pin of maturity in Christ is to sort out the subtle 
idolatries of our heart. We're, we're constantly from moment to moment, we're, we're kind of like, I, I, I live, I'm living for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait, wait, I'm living for you. Now I'm living for me. I'm living for you. And we have this back and forth, and we have to learn to moment by moment dethrone ourselves and say, no, 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 no. You, Jesus, you, you, I, I love you. The second thing is that we have to choose the truth over the temptation. Jesus, our true hero, he did something that is amazing. It says that after he was baptized, he was filled with the spirit. The, the, the dove came down, the spirit, the voice came from heaven. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then it says the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested. And he was tempted by Satan. If you have ever read that before, what you're going to find that Jesus did is that he kept responding with truth. Satan would say, hey, do this, right? Throw yourself down. And Jesus would respond with scripture. We have to learn to arm ourselves with truth. We have to choose the truth over the temptation. How, how this looks for me is that one of my temptations right now in my season of life is with my kids, when, whenever they're getting out of control, I've got three boys and oh man, there are days, there are days in my house, right, where they're fighting with each other and, and every like, everything they do escalates into something like terrible. I feel like I'm a referee, like I'm just gonna get a whistle and a, a striped shirt and just wear that all day because it just feels like that some days. And my temptation is that when they begin to act this way, I wanna get big with anger. I want to just yell and scream and, and like get control of this situation. And here's the thing. I, I've been reminding myself of truth. Psalm 37, 8 is a verse for me. Like I just have to say it to myself. It says, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. I remind myself of, of James 1.20, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Meaning this, if I'm going to try to get godly results, I wanna raise godly kids, if I'm gonna do that with ungodly methods, it will never, ever work. I have to arm myself with truth. I have to find a verse. Right, whatever your temptation is, find a verse. Like, find a truth, because when, when the feeder goes off, you're going to have to remind yourself that Jesus has a better meal for you. And you need a verse that speaks to your heart and says, oh, no, 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 I, I remember, I remember, right? I remember. In the cloudiness of this moment where I feel so pulled to that thing, I remember the truth. We have to choose the truth over the temptation. The third thing is this. I think this is powerful. Tell someone about the temptation. He said, oh, no, no, no. Because if I really love Jesus, I wouldn't feel tempted. That's that myth that we just talked about. No, we all feel it. I, I read a, a joke. Can I tell another joke, another corny dad joke? Just get, give me a little pity laughter at the end of it, okay? So there's three pastors and they're, they're getting away for um, just a, some time together in the afternoon. They, they kind of did this as sort of an accountability time and, and one pastor's like, uh, 
yeah, man, pray for me, guys. I've just really been struggling with, with lust. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, we'll pray for you on that. Okay. Other guys say, I, well, I, I got one worse than that. I'm, I struggle with ga- gambling. I, instead of preparing my sermon last Friday, I, I went and I, I gambled. It's like, oh, man, that's bad. That's bad. And, and this other guy was like, oh, man, I got one worse than that. Man, I, I struggle with hatred. I've got some people in my church, and I just, I hate them. And there's this lady, and I just, I can't stand her, and I hate her. And, and then this, the fourth guy's like, guys, uh, man, just pray for me. I, I struggle with gossip, and I, I think I need to go make some phone calls right now. <laughs> you guys, you just pity me up here. It's terrible. We have to tell someone about the temptation. We have to let somebody in. Now, hopefully it's not someone who's struggling with gossip and who's gonna go tell everybody about your, so pick someone safe, all right? Somebody safe that you trust, but you need to tell somebody. We, we all need accountability. In 1 John 1.7, he teaches us that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. He says that we will, we will have fellowship with one another, that the blood of Jesus would, will cover all of our sins. And the thing about light is that light reveals things that are there. It just shows us what's really there. And you need to tell someone safe what's really there. Like, here's the thing that could take me out. Can you just, just pray for me and just ask me every now and then, hey, how's that going? Because you mentioned that that thing could take you out. Just tell someone about that temptation And number four, this is important. Get back on the horse when you fall into sin. We're all going to fall at times. We shouldn't. We all know we shouldn't. But there are moments that we do. And here's what we have to do. We have to get back on that horse. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. He says, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You see, you might lose a battle, but Jesus has won the war. You have to get back on that horse and get back in that battle. You have to get back and endure and stand the test again and let God work inside of you. Let him remake you. You're not done yet, and it's okay. If you've fallen into temptation, don't give up. Don't fall into the trap of, well, I'll never change, and the guilt and the shame just keep us from moving forward. The Lord is saying, no, 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 my sacrifice is still enough for you. It's still enough, and you can get back up on that horse. God's remaking you, and it's not over. There's a a story from uh, the life of Augustine. He was a a great saint of God, and, and if you've ever read Confessions before, just, just very wise um, saint. Before he was a believer, he lived with an adulterous woman. And so he was converted, um, and, and they obviously separated. And one day he's walking down the street, and he sees the woman, right? 
and she begins to call after him. She shouts his name, and he just kind of keeps walking, like he just keeps his eyes straight forward, and she's crying after him, like, you know, hello, it's me, hello, and finally she comes up and says, Augustine, it is I. And he says to her, yes, but it's no longer I. You see, the victory of Jesus is this, is that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Jesus paid for you to be reborn. And so he's doing something new inside of you. And whatever that thing is, that Goliath temptation, you have a new spirit. You're a new creature. You're following a new voice. And sometimes we just have to remind ourselves when that old thing comes back and says, it's I, it's I, you say, but it's no longer I. I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Let's pray together this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.